The scriptures record for us only one thing that the disciples asked Jesus to teach them. We think that there will be a whole lot of things. And we have in our minds that, well, if there is only one thing, it would probably be this or that. Teach us how to preach. Teach us how to do miracles. Luke 11 tells us that Jesus is out one day praying. And when he finishes, the disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. There's something about the way Jesus prays, something about what prayer does in Jesus' life that the disciples say, we want that because we don't have it. Jesus, teach us how to pray. But it's not just teach us to pray, it's teach us to pray as John taught his disciples to pray. In first century Palestine, every rabbi had a group of followers and they taught their followers a prayer. Something that would be identifiable to them that they are followers of this particular rabbi. And so there, John had this for his followers. And they're saying, Jesus, give us something like that as your followers. What they're really saying is, Jesus, give us a formula. Give us a model, a plan to pray so that we, we don't really have to maybe think about it so much. But it becomes something that we can fit our, our, ourselves into as your followers. And we're always looking for formulas, right? We're always looking for some kind of strategy, some kind of plan. And we want Ten Commandments for being better prayers. We want the 21 irrefutable laws of of, of praying in the Spirit. Give us something that we can just plug into. And surprisingly, Jesus does. He gives them a model. We say it every Sunday, or a form of it. We call it the Lord's Prayer. Luke's version is abbreviated compared to Matthew's and a little bit abbreviated compared to what we tend to say every, every week. But he does give them this model. And I can see the disciples saying, that's awesome, Jesus. Thank you. Okay, guys, let's go to whatever the next thing is. And Jesus says, whoa, whoa wait a second. I'm, I'm not done yet. That's not all there is to answering your question. Sit down and let me tell you a story. Again with the stories. And he tells him a story about the man who's out traveling. He's on a long journey. He arrives at his friend's house late at night. And hospitality being so vital to their culture, his friend says, can I get you something? He says, yeah, I'm starved. You know, no McDonald's, no rest stops, no convenience stores. Of course, we don't have a convenience store either, so we wouldn't be able to help him with that, would we? But beside the point. But... Uh, So he gets there and he's hungry. And he has to feed him. You cannot let this person go hungry. That would be horrible. You you have to show hospitality. It's vital. So he goes to the kitchen, looks in the cupboards. They got nothing. They don't have refrigerators. They don't have a pantry stocked with canned goods. He's looking for bread and there's none. So he goes next door to his neighbor, knocks on his door, says, I need some bread. And it's in verse 8 that the whole thing hinges. What goes before it, what goes after it, hinges on verse 8. And verse 8 says, Even if he will not get up and give you bread because you're his friend, because of his shameless audacity, he will get up and give you what you need. 
Now, that is an unusual translation of that word. Most of the time, the scripture says something like, because of his persistence, because of his boldness, he will get up and give him what he wants. And there is, it's good to be persistent. That's a positive character trait. We're not happy about people who quit when things get rough. We're happy about people, we like it when people are persistent and they work through difficulties and pain and struggles and they keep going. Persistence is a positive characteristic in our culture. But there is a sense that we read, hear Jesus talking here and you can get the impression, and some people have, many people have, interpret this as if you just, if you just pester God long enough, he'll give you what you want. If you just bang on the door long enough, if you knock enough, if you seek enough, if you ask enough, eventually God will throw up his hands and say, fine, I'll get up and give you what you want. Right? And Jesus said, and I just have a hard time believing that that's what he means. That doesn't seem to fit the character of God throughout all of the history we have recorded in Scripture. That's the mindset of people outside the kingdom of Israel and heaven. Because that's us manipulating God. God, if we just badger you enough, you will have to give us what we want. Or like the other nations of the world. If we go through this right ritual, then the gods have to give us what we desire. And who's in control? We are. And one of the underlying truths of the kingdom is we are never in control. God is. And prayer is no different. Sometimes it's translated boldness. And again, it's good to be bold. When we pray, we want to be bold. God loves people who come and pray bold, risk-taking prayers. But if that boldness is a sense of demanding from God what he has to do because we have made the demands, we're still in control and not God. The literal meaning of this word is shamelessness. And Jesus is saying, because of his shamelessness, he, is, he will get up and give him what he needs. Now, when we think about the word shameless, it has negative connotations sometimes. When we talk about people who are shameless, they, they will do anything to get what they want. They have no conscience they just, they'll just take advantage of people, manipulate people, do whatever it takes. They are, we talk about they are shameless. And it isn't always a compliment. But there is the other side of it too. And the other side of it is that shamelessness is a positive thing. When we think about being unashamed, we are not afraid to do what we need to do. We're not afraid to ask for what we need because we need it. Maybe think of it this way. Uh, it's the, you're sitting in class, and you, you know, if you're not in class now, you have been, you remember. You're sitting there, the teacher's explaining something, and you have no idea what they're talking about. And our human nature, our human inclination, is to just sit there and try to figure it out. Right? Because we don't want to be the person, the only person in the room, who doesn't understand it's embarrassing. 
It's the person who is unashamed, who raises their hand and says, maybe I'm stupid, but I don't get it. Could you explain that more? What's fascinating is that if you're on the other side of the desk, if you're teaching, that's exactly what you want people to do. People who don't understand, you want them to say, I don't understand, so that you can help them understand it. But our pride keeps us, our shame of exposing ourselves as perhaps ignorant, keeps us from doing what we need to do and admitting that we have a need, that we don't get it. You think about perhaps the the desire in your heart is something isn't happening right, you can't quite get something figured out and you realize you need to go talk to someone. But it's embarrassing to go and admit to people, I'm having this struggle. I've got this burden. But if we want to be healed, if we want to get better, if we want someone to help us, we have to do it. Or you take that job and the boss explains everything to you about what you're supposed to do and how the machinery works and they leave you to it and the minute they walk out of the room, your mind goes blank and you cannot remember a thing they said. And you can either go to the copy machine and end up running off thousands of copies because you can't figure out how to get it stopped or you can go ask for help. And it's embarrassing. You have to swallow your pride to go ask for help. But that's what you have to do if you're going to get it right. And Jesus is saying, here is a man who is surely ashamed that he doesn't have bread in his house. Everybody has bread in their house. What kind of person doesn't have bread in their house? You never know when someone's going to show up with a need. Who doesn't have bread? What is wrong with you? And despite perhaps the, the, the shame that may come upon him, he says, it doesn't matter. I've got a friend who has a need. I'm going to go ask for bread. And because he is willing to go ask for bread, he gets bread. And his friend is fed. And it is a perfect image of prayer. That we come to God acknowledging our need. Acknowledging that we cannot solve our problems. Only He can. But until we acknowledge our need, until we come to Him, we just keep spinning our wheels or digging a hole. And becoming more anxious, more burdened, more overwhelmed. Because we aren't willing to come and say, God, I need you. We often think that People who are holy, people who are righteous, are people who have gotten to the place in life where they don't have needs anymore. I think it's exactly the opposite. I think the most holy people are the ones who continually live in a spirit of God, I need you for everything. It's not that we've gotten everything figured out and that's why we're holy. It's because we are surrendering continually to God. We are continually coming to God saying, I need you, I need you, I need you. I can't, do, I can't live life without you. That is a sign of holiness. Because that's a sign that God is in control. That we trust God. And the underlying assumption here is what Jesus says when he gets to the end of this passage. That God is good. There is sort of, a, I think, an underlying rhetorical question that Jesus is asking as he, as he mentions this parable. In a sense, he's saying, do any of you have a neighbor 
who you would go to and ask for bread, no matter what time it is, that they wouldn't give it to you? That they wouldn't realize how important hospitality is, not just to your reputation, but the reputation of the community? Does anybody have a neighbor like that? And I can see them saying, of course not. We all know how important hospitality is to us as a, as a community. No one would deny bread. And Jesus says, how much more? Your Father in heaven. How much more? We don't have to beat down God's door to get him to hear us, to love us, to do good for us. He loves to do good for us. He loves to answer our prayers. The issue for us is that God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we want him to. The way we think he should. But he always answers our prayers in the way that he knows is eternally best for each of us. And we trust his wisdom. We trust his goodness. We trust his grace to answer our prayers in the way that is best. And ultimately, the very best answer to any of our prayers, Jesus says, is himself. It's the Holy Spirit. He gets to the end of this and he says, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven knows how to give to you the Holy Spirit. He gives us himself. It's not just a gift he gives us. He gives us himself, his very presence in our lives. He's simply asking us to come to him, to acknowledge our need, and to let him work in us in ways that we couldn't dream or imagine. And that means we come to him with what we might call the small things, the stuff that other people might look at and say, really? You pray about that? Yes. Because everything that's important to us is important to God. And we come with him about the big things. And we come and we pray boldly and confidently because God can do more than we could dream or imagine. Nothing is impossible for God. And this morning, we're not just going to talk about prayer. We're going to pray. This morning, as, as Jamie said, we're going, to, we're going to open the altar for you to come and to pray. In a minute, I'm going to ask the elders and the pastors to come and to stand here. And we're going to invite you then to come. Those of you who would like to come to the altar, you can kneel around the altar. You can sit in one of the red chairs if kneeling is difficult for you. And just give us the privilege and the honor of praying with you and for you. It might be about a physical need. It might, be, it might be an emotional need. It might be a spiritual need. It might be a relational need. It might be a burden you have for someone else. You might want to come in someone else's place. You can tell us as little or as much about the need as you want because God knows. If you would like to be anointed with oil, we, we will be glad to do that. And there's nothing magical about, about the oil, but it does, through Scripture and history, represent the presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's something about the touch 
that communicates love and compassion and grace and connectedness. We want to come and to pray. And I realize that sometimes it's difficult to acknowledge our need. And maybe you've come and and you've had people pray for you before. That doesn't matter. You're invited to come and to give us the privilege of praying for you. So I'm going to ask the pastors and the elders to come. And I'm going to ask you to come. To come to the altar, to come to the chairs, and to let us pray for you. We have prayed here this morning around the altar, in these chairs, in our seats. And prayers we pray each day in a myriad of places and about a variety of concerns. We pray for those near us who are in need. We pray especially for Gordon Jeffords' family, that you would comfort them in their grief, their pain, their loss. Father, we also pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who face persecution. We think especially of the two Bhutanese pastors, Tardine and Thapa. In prison, just for conducting a gathering of Christians. We pray for the whole church in Bhutan living with this intense pressure to reject Christ and yet attempting to bear witness to the love of Christ. And we ask you to help them. We pray for all who are in the midst of the Ebola crisis. It's hard for us really to grasp the sense of fear and anxiety in those places, because here we are so protected. We have so many medical resources. We pray that you will bring relief to the problem. We pray that, that you, will, you will help people to see that there are places they can come and they can get help instead of living in fear. We pray for your grace to be visible in miraculous healings and in the presence of your church and the courage of your people. We pray for those who are going over even now to help and ask that you would use them as agents of healing and light. As we embark on a new academic year, we pray for your grace upon all of us wherever we may land in the educational landscape. We pray that you'll light a fire in this place, in our lives, in this church, that will burn with a passion for grace and truth that we might develop a reputation for loving each other and for loving all people in the spirit and the power of Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and the one in whose name we offer our prayers and the one who leaves us the model for prayer, which we now pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.